Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got a great show lined up for you today and an exciting guest. It's someone who you may be acquainted with. She's a popular author, speaker, and a licensed professional counselor. Her name is Jennifer Schwerzer. Jennifer, it's great to have you with us today. Good to be here. Jennifer, you and I have crossed paths over the years. Sometimes we've been in settings where we've both been featured speakers at events and I always appreciate the insights that you have, the enthusiasm that you bring. Today we're talking about a topic that really resonates throughout Indian country, and I'll tell you, today I think most people can relate to the concept of trauma, and a lot of folks would even say, trauma? Why are you speaking about that on today's broadcast? Jennifer, why is this topic so important to you? Because trauma is the mother of most mental health disorders. Mm. In my experience as a clinician for the last 13 years, and in my study on a doctoral level now, I have seen this over and over that trauma kind of gives birth to many other babies, so to speak. And so a lot of the struggles we have psychologically stem back to some trauma. And this is such a huge issue in Indian country because, of course, we're not only talking about individual trauma. We often talk about historical trauma, uh, societal trauma. And sometimes people raise their eyebrows when we use some of these terms. Can you help us put trauma in a context not only of the individual, but maybe of the broader societies in which we find ourselves? You're so right that there are different kinds of trauma, individual trauma, you can have collective trauma, you can have mass trauma. I believe that we're experiencing, at least initially, something like mass trauma with COVID. So it can happen to different entities. But basically, what trauma is, is when the nervous system gets overwhelmed by an event so threatening that the resources, the present resources of that person or group of people are insufficient to be able to cope. Like you can calm yourself down when you almost hit the guy in front of you, you know, mm. and you jam on your brakes and it's like unnerving for a few moments, but you do some deep breathing, you maybe pull over for a minute, you calm, your nervous system calms you down, you get through the rest of your day and you're okay. You slam into that guy in front of you and it's not going to calm down that day. And it may not even calm down your nervous system may not regulate again for, for quite a while. And if you end up with PTSD, it can be forever if it's untreated. So basically, trauma is an overwhelmed nervous system, or collectively speaking, you know, people that lack the psychological resources to cope with a threatening event, frightening, threatening event. I've been fascinated by this topic myself, Jennifer, for a number of years as I work with people both individually and in groups. And what's interesting to me, you mentioned the you know PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, but 
there's a lot of people today who are talking about post-traumatic growth as well. And um, I'm wondering if you could kind of help us say, hey, here we are today, every one of us, at least on some level, we have some either personal or collective traumas. You mentioned the the whole world right now with the pandemic that we're in uh, is being traumatized. Can you help us kind of frame things so that maybe we can be more likely to thrive in the midst of these challenges rather than be overwhelmed? I appreciate that so much. Yes, post-traumatic growth is a thing. When I was in the middle of my studies, doctoral studies, and I'm getting a degree in community counseling with concentration in traumatology, I started to say to myself, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be learning about the effects of trauma, but this is a little bit discouraging for me because it sounds like people experience these events that come out of nowhere that they did not ask to experience that were not their fault, that they did nothing to earn or, or cause even in most cases they're extremely uh, affected by those things and then it ruins them for the rest of their life is the picture that was kind of emerging, you know, as I was studying and particularly it was heart wrenching when it was childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. typically perpetrated by strong people in the child's life who were not protective or were cruel, awful things happen to kids and it ruins them forever. And I didn't Mm -hmm. like that picture because I wanted to believe that there could be some form of redemption or recovery. And sure enough, as I dug in, I realized that there was a whole field of research called post-traumatic growth, which is a very wonderful field of research. But let me say this. I don't want to jump into post-traumatic growth before we've spent enough time talking about trauma for this reason, that there's kind of two ditches we can fall into. One is where we're emphasizing trauma and we're not acknowledging that some people thrive in spite of it. Mm-hmm. We're focusing on the negative effects of it. The other ditch though is telling people to just snap out of it and not mm-hmm. giving sufficient credit to how devastating, for instance, PTSD can be. So when I do a trauma presentation, I always start out with trauma is real. These are some of the things that happen as a result. Here are the different forms of trauma. Here's some things that happen as a result of trauma. And then once I really ground people in those realities so that they don't become dismissive or invalidate themselves and what they're struggling with Mm -hmm. um, so that they can connect the dots between horrible experiences and what they're struggling with now. Once they're grounded in that, then I move on and I say, there is hope. And so I believe in both of those things, but I like to kind of establish the reality of trauma first so that people really are validated in what they're struggling with. No, I think this is great. I think this is great. I think you've laid out such a a great framework, Jennifer, for where we want to go in this show. And I think as you've been talking about trauma, I'll tell you, one of the interesting things to me is when people are traumatized, it's easy to feel like no one has been traumatized like they have been. Uh, You alluded to this fact that trauma comes in many different shapes and sizes. Can you give us a picture of that as we begin to dive a little bit more into the topic? Yeah. Well, why don't I start by just giving the two diagnoses, uh, the two types of trauma. 
the one that we know the most, we're the most familiar with is what's called PTSD. That stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a whole conversation within the field that I'm in about whether it should be called post-traumatic stress disorder, because the thinking is, why are you calling it a disorder Mm -hmm. Uh, when someone is in a near fatal car accident or they almost die on the battlefield or they are sexually assaulted? It's perfectly normal for them to have this kind of overwhelm reaction. So call it post-traumatic stress syndrome. But Mm. what the diagnostic manual finally came to and the people behind that is that call it a disorder because their lives are, whether there's anything wrong with them innately or not, their lives have been profoundly affected by this. It's a disorder. It's presenting as a disorder. So currently it's called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD is characterized by a number of things. It's an actual diagnosis in the manual. It's characterized by things like um, flashbacks, nightmares, things where the traumatic event comes back into the consciousness of the individual in some form. Another kind of subtle form of that is extreme triggerability, where you smell something that reminds you of the trauma and it triggers the memory like that. Um, so I would say nightmares, flashbacks, extreme triggerability are the re-experiencing symptoms. And then in addition to that, people experience general unrest, I would say, in generic terms, mental disorders, you know, anxiety, a kind of a um, a baseline, a, a higher baseline of what is sometimes called neuroticism, which I don't want to like use that word because it's disparaging, but you know, anxiety and maybe depression. The person is mm-hmm. is really affected by this. A lot of times they'll have an easy startle reflex as a result of the trauma. And that's kind of part of the package of symptoms. And then another, um, another real big player, and this is something I really like to explore when I'm talking about trauma, is typically people who have been traumatized develop patterns of avoidance. So we're going to come back to that point later after I'm done kind of laying this out. But patterns of avoidance are a really big thing in trauma. And um, spoiler alert, all of the treatments involve facing triggers and Hmm. backing out of the pattern of avoidance. Okay, so that's some of the symptoms of PTSD. So a person with PTSD will be distressed they will often have these re-experiencing symptoms. They'll have uh, avoidance patterns and a number of other symptoms. PTSD is one one of the qualifications for it. Sounds like you're applying for a job, but literally it's called qualifications is that the person has to have experienced really a near death experience, either firsthand or secondhand, like hearing Mm -hmm. that your mother just died in a fire qualifies but it has to be a near-death experience. So the three big PTSD producing, if I can call it that, experiences are military combat, sexual assault, and the most common source of PTSD is motor vehicle accidents. Mm-hmm. A big one, MVAs. Mm-hmm. So there's another kind of trauma that's getting a lot of buzz these days called CPTSD. It's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And complex post-traumatic stress disorder has to do more with the subtle repeated assaults on that person's nervous system and dignity and personhood over a longer stretch of time, typically as experienced in 
abusive or addictive or negligent homes growing up. Mm. You can get PTSD other ways besides the home you were growing up, but the most common source is you're raised in this chaotic environment. And over and over again, there were subtle, maybe not subtle, but repeated assaults on your personhood that fall short of that death-defying experience that would qualify you for PTSD. So that if you want to kind of conceive of the difference between PTSD and CPTSD, if I were to punch you in the jaw, doctor, (laughs) and I was successful, which I probably wouldn't be, in breaking your jaw, that would be PTSD. A very quick, sudden assault, and you're very wounded. Okay. CPTSD would be me tapping you on the cheek, but doing it for four days. What What would happen? You would eventually become inflamed, infected, and it might do more damage than the jaw if the infection took off. And it might traumatize me mentally, right? If I didn't want you doing it and you kept doing it anyway. Is that part of it or not? Yeah, sure. The prolonged nature of it brings in a whole host of complex, which is why it's called complex uh, features of complex trauma. So that person with complex trauma won't typically have the same exact symptoms that you would have with PTSD. It won't necessarily be, you know, nightmares, flashbacks, this type of thing where they're re-experiencing, but they will have almost always this baseline distress and a host of things, including uh, the patterns of avoidance I was talking about before. And a lot of times difficulty in just general emotional stability general Mm -hmm. ability to form and keep stable relationships. Wow. Yeah. I mean, these things, Jennifer, are, I mean, are speaking to so many of us. So many of us have experienced maybe things that some people would say were not life-threatening, but isn't it true that if you perceive something as life-threatening, I mean, even if it's just a stranger showing up when you're a little kid on the way to school, I mean, couldn't that trigger this or is that stretching it a bit too much? Um, no, definitely perceptions are everything. I mean, the perceptions of the individual are what carry the experience to their nervous system. And the nervous system is what's affected in PTSD. So absolutely. A, a good example of that is putting a horror movie in front of a three-year-old. They are going to experience that horror movie as if it happened to them, you know, right in front of them. Because they don't have the filter that we have when we watch media. We know it's not real. They don't. So that's why we need to be really careful with what we show our kids. We need to talk so much more because you've got so many great insights, Jennifer. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're going to be back with more on today's edition of the program, talking about life-changing insights into trauma. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, 
not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of the broadcast. I am Dr. David DeRose. With me, Jennifer Schwerzer. Jennifer is someone that uh, you likely have crossed paths with if you've been to motivational conferences focused on mental health, whole person health. Jennifer's an author. She's a licensed professional counselor. She's part of a group of professionals that go by the name of Abide, the Abide Network. Jennifer, before we get back to our, our topic of discussion, uh, tell our, our listeners a little bit about just uh, what your group is involved with and how people can get a hold of you. Abide Network was teletherapy before teletherapy was cool. Uh, COVID has brought in a lot of teletherapy because people couldn't meet in person, but we were doing it before that where we can reach anyone literally in the world with our unique brand of counseling. Excellent, excellent. And I had jotted something down from previous discussions, abide.network, the word N-E-T-W-O-R-K. Is that really the website? It is abide.network. No .com, no .org, just abide.network will bring you to our website. And anybody who's interested in, uh, if we're doing it distance across state lines, it's coaching. Anybody who's interested in that can go to abide.network and fill out the intake form. We will get it. We will look at the information. We will place you with the appropriate person. Okay. So you have a number of counselors throughout the country. Is that fair to say? I do. I have counselors from all over and they counsel and coach people from all over. So we're we're going global here. 
Okay. Well, let's get right down to the counseling because we want to talk about helping people who might personally be dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. They've been given the diagnosis of PTSD. And uh, one of the things I've heard that is sometimes especially discouraging to people is not necessarily the things that we've talked about, not the fright, not the nightmares, but it's, some folks have told me it's being emotionally numb. The people that I, I used to love, it seems like my emotions have dried out. Have you heard that much from these folks and what's going on there? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think about it, if you overwhelm a nervous system, it's going to want to anesthetize itself mm. because we can't bear the overwhelm. The pain threshold is too high or too low, I guess you'd say. Uh, so that person is going to want to numb out and really is going to facilitate that unconsciously. And if you think about it, you know, what happens to a body that's been injured? I mean, analgesics, I guess you'd call them naturally produced analgesics flood the system to take the edge off that pain. Interesting stuff. Jennifer, we want to help people. I know that's what you do as a professional. Someone is listening today, many people, no doubt, listening today who are dealing with PTSD, maybe undiagnosed. How can someone really move forward beyond uh, one of these traumatic events that have so traumatized them? So as I mentioned before, there are basically three clusters of symptoms, uh, re-experiencing nightmares, flashbacks, triggerability. Avoidance and numbing could actually be part of that cluster, uh, but avoidance can also include dissociation where a person literally goes somewhere else in their mind. Uh, then avoidance can be p behavior patterns where the person avoids triggers, mm. and that's almost always there. And then the other cluster is hyperarousal where the person is, their baseline of distress is higher than usual. Um, treatments all target the avoidance symptom. Mm -hmm. And that is so important. And this is so key to treatment of trauma that every empirically validated treatment for trauma, and there are three that get the most emphasis in airtime and have been the most empirically validated. They all address the avoidance and they all structure a way whereby the person can cease, gradually cease avoiding triggers. This is very interesting. I I know some years ago we had a guest on the show who was, you know, working with therapy animals and, and with PTSD. And as I'm listening to what you're saying, although I don't think the person necessarily connected these dots, they were really calling these people to engage with life, engage with other sentient creatures. Is this kind of what we're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the first thing you do before you do any kind of exposure is you teach the person grounding techniques, ways that they can self-calm, things like breathing, things like comfort habits, ways of focusing on your present sensory experience, what's sometimes called mindfulness, rather than letting your brain get carried away with the trauma. And you teach the person a set of those grounding techniques and then you start the exposure. So I think equine therapy is what you mentioned a moment ago, working mm -hmm. with animals um, or even pet therapy generally is mm -hmm. both a grounding technique and also a way of re-engaging. Like you said, that's a really good mm -hmm. insight. So talk a little bit about uh, this mindfulness. People hear that phrase. I know some people have looked at it kind of critically Years ago, for example, Jennifer, I can remember folks speaking about Eastern meditation 
and some critics of those practices saying, well, these people are just making their mind a blank and uh, it's not uh, really helping the brain. Yeah, it may be an escape. They may get some benefit from it, but it's not really energizing or, or strengthening the, the mental faculties. And then it seems like folks were wanting to add the word mindfulness to even what used to be called transcendental meditation. Where does this mindfulness adjective come in and, and how does it help us in this PTSD dialogue? The best kind of definition of mindfulness is simply that you're paying attention to the present moment. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a really good thing. Okay. We have to remember mindfulness meditation is not mindlessness meditation necessarily. Now, there are forms of what would be called mindfulness meditation that would move into mindlessness and some maybe um, new agey kind of Eastern influenced approaches that some people would not want. And I personally would not want nor encourage, but mindfulness is not only not that, but it is in many ways a really helpful thing. So, and I, and if you're a Christian and I am, and I try to counsel and coach in a biblically grounded way, I think it's biblical I think mindfulness is biblical. So I'm not going to let, you know, Buddha and and the Eastern faiths have it all. (laughs) You know, if there's a form of it that would be appropriate for me as a Christian, I'm going to use it. But basically, you're you're just focusing on the present moment. So help us. Let's say right now, could we give a 60 second exercise in mindfulness? Is that something that's possible on a radio show? What I have done is I have produced 30 meditations for people who want are afraid of the eastern influence and want something grounded in scripture and i call them jesus meditations Hmm. and they're about to go up on a website so we start with deep slow breathing which has been very strongly empirically validated for helping with anxiety the deep slow breathing also opens a person up emotionally in very real like neuroscience this thing called the anterior cingulate cortex get gets activated with what they call conscious breathing and that connects the forebrain or the higher uh, reasoning faculties with the emotional brain so there's some amazing things that go on with deep breathing what we do is we in these meditations we get people to breathe slow and then and they have their eyes closed then they listen to a devotional and a prayer and then a scripture song it's very simple but what i have found in using these meditations is that the focusing on something, not letting myself get distracted and then getting my breathing to regulate like that gets me very in the present moment and it's powerful to calm. I mean, I've been falling asleep easily and I don't always do that. So they've been very helpful to me personally. Well, you've got to make sure that we know how to access these once they're available. Is it going to be available on the Abide Network? Yes, and a separate website called JesusMeditations.org. Now, I know I'm scaring off some of my non-Christian listeners, but uh, let me tell you why I'm I'm interested in this and why I think you should be interested in it as well. Even if you're uh, Native and have had nothing but bad experiences with people who call themselves Christians. Uh, um, I knew nothing about this going into the show today, but I'm interested in checking this out because I get so many people, Jennifer, who are having trouble sleeping, who are anxious. So, you know, I was just dealing with a patient. I do telemedicine right now and uh, dealing with a patient who was, you know, asking for more medications. You know, she's anxious, she's depressed, she's having trouble sleeping. 
And I'm thinking, wow, if we had something like this, this would be really great. So let me write this down again. You call it JesusMeditations.org. What about someone who really doesn't care for Jesus that much? Is This this is going to be pretty, I mean, because of the name, I, I imagine if you don't want to hear Jesus mentioned, this is not the place to go. Is that right? Well, um, most people like Jesus. They're just not sure about Christianity. <laughs> okay. Okay, Jennifer. And actually, Jesus Jesus sympathizes with them. He's not sure about Christianity either. Yeah, he has a few things to say about it. I think I'd go along with you, definitely. So I've got JesusMeditations.org. Is that right? Correct, yeah. Okay. okay. I want to say this about insomnia. The big struggle with insomnia is people can maybe fall asleep if they get medication in their system, but then they'll wake up in the middle of the night. And then if they take the medication again, it'll kill them for the next day. So they can't take more medication in the middle of the night. And mid-insomnia is a big thing. It is, you're right. They're using these little meditations, 10-minute meditation. Just do one in the middle of the night, and it puts you back to sleep. That's good. That's good. we got to check that out. We're going to check out a lot more, get a lot more insights with Jennifer Schwerzer. We're coming back with more right after these important messages. Don't go away. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to. Someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs and dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. Jennifer Schwerzer is my guest. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about trauma, things that can help you as you're trying to pull yourself out of that pit that you may have found yourselves in or yourself in after going through something that was life-threatening. Jennifer, one of the problems that you said, if we're going to effectively deal with this PTSD condition that we have to deal with is this whole issue of avoidance. How do you help someone in that whole process? So all three of the empirically validated, the most empirically validated treatments are structured facing of triggers. There's one called prolonged exposure therapy, very well validated, used very frequently with military veterans, and that involves gradual exposure, structured exposure. And then uh, cognitive processing is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy that involves narrating through the events, but that's a form of exposure. It's called imaginal exposure in your mind. And then thirdly, there's something called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is kind of this, it gets a lot of buzz because it's kind of interesting. But that's also a form of trigger exposure. And some scientists say that the eye movements that characterize EMDR are not what bring about the healing. It's the exposure that does it. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not against eye movements, but all three of them, I just made the observation that all three of them are forms of exposure. It's kind of bad news to people with trauma because they think, well, I just avoid the triggers, problem solved. But what happens is their circle gets smaller and smaller and there's more and more avoidance, tends to build on in itself. Hmm. So this is uh, this is really fascinating because... So many people, like you said, they think they're doing well by trying to avoid problems. And I've, I've seen it myself as I've dealt with patients, you know, where that list just seems to get bigger and bigger and people seem to be able to tackle less and less. I have heard about this EMDR, but I don't know that I fully understand it. And I think many of my listeners, if they're hearing about it for the first time, they're scratching their heads saying, well, what does this have to do with anything with trauma? Can you explain it a little bit more? Very simply, EMDR is, again, a structured facing of triggers by narrating through the events, but it's using eye movements back and forth across the field of vision. That's why it's called eye movement desensitization or other means of bilateralizing the brain where you stimulate both hemispheres of the brain at the same time. So sometimes they'll put little vibrators in the person's hand and alternately vibrate, or they'll tap their shoulder or their knee to create that bilateral effect. And that is thought to get the brain in a condition where it processes difficult material more effectively. I personally think walking does that. And so sometimes mm. in tough cases, I will walk with my clients and have them talk through trauma while we're walking. That is really interesting. Uh, some of the things that I've found most helpful for myself is uh, when I'm dealing with stuff, you know, just walking or running or whatever, and uh, I did not realize that I was uh, giving myself therapy. So thanks for that insight. 
What are other things that should be on our list, Jennifer, as we're talking about helping people through trauma? People are listening to the show and they're saying, you know, give me something practical that I can do right now that can help me. Is there Are there things like that? Are there self-help techniques? Or do you really say, hey, you need to connect with a counselor who can walk you through this because this is a, a serious issue? You know, the therapies are great and they can be very helpful, but a big part of therapy is the connection to that person. Hmm. And that warm therapeutic alliance is just validated over and over again as being probably the most overall, the most therapeutic aspect of therapy. So the reality is you can get that connection in other places. And so connecting is a really important part of overcoming the effects of trauma. And I can give you an example. Please. My nephew experienced a near-death car accident Mm -hmm. in March. He has unfortunately sustained, it looks like a TBI, traumatic brain injury. So he's still struggling through the effects of it. However, he didn't develop PTSD, even though it was a near fatal car accident. And motor vehicle accidents are big PTSD causers. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of the love of his family. It's a wonderful family. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of connection. I'm his aunt. You know, I rent the upstairs apartment to him. Like, we're all really close. Uh And we're dysfunctional as all get out. You know, we're all messed up too, just like everybody is. But we love each other. And I Uh think the love in that family, and I say this with a tear in my eye, you know, the love in that family really has shielded him from a lot of what could have been permanent effects. Wow. That's a very interesting insight because uh, I was once involved in a very serious accident, actually not far from where you live right now. And uh, yeah, cut out of a, a, a car, you know, on the freeway, head on collision. So uh, years later, I, you know, I didn't fully appreciate, you know, the fact that I didn't have traumatic brain injury. Uh, at least I didn't have any significant residual. I think part of it is because, you know, fractured my pelvis and, you know, with, was laid up with a bunch of other things that didn't allow me to do anything. I think that probably helped me. But thanks for mentioning my loving family and reminding me of those uh, those assets as well. But what about people that don't have that, Jennifer? Because there's so many people that their families are less than loving, their environments are less than supportive. Is it basically a lost cause, or is there any place they can turn for help? Absolutely not. There are many ways to get support from other human beings, because think about it, everybody else is in the same boat as you. We all need connection. And so many of us don't have that loving family. So can we build relationships with people? Yes, for sure. There are support groups that can help. There are group therapies for post-traumatic stress disorder that can help. There are, and a big source, a big source of social support is church. People can join Bible studies or small groups, or depending on what resources your local church has, there's tons of stuff online now. They can come to my weekly Bible study if they want to. I have anxiety and depression seminars that I do or workshops that I do on Zoom. And the social support of the members to each other is a big part of the the therapeutic aspect of it. So there are ways of getting connected and you don't have to have a great family to love and be loved. God is all about giving us an alternative to what didn't work out the first time. Now, Jennifer, you've already shared that you're a Christian, and I know some of my listeners, they're excited about that. They relate to that, whether they're 
Native Americans, whether they're from other demographic groups. And as I mentioned also, I've got other listeners who that doesn't bring back, uh, you know, warm memories or create warm feelings. But having said that, you mentioned this, these anxiety and depression uh, programs that you run. And I'm just thinking of my own community that I'm a part of here in uh, right now. Uh, the Midwest is where I'm based currently. Could I, with a diverse group of people from a community, could we say, hey, five of us, 10 of us, jump onto this group? Is that something that's available? Or, or how does how do your programs work? Tell us about that. I schedule them. And the last time we did it, we had blocks of people that came from one area or one group. And so I have pretty unlimited number of people that can come. It's $100 a person. Mm -hmm. I like low cost options. And I think it was as effective as individual counseling, probably for some people. Six week workshops, very inexpensive. And it's on Zoom. So you don't have to go anywhere. So six weeks, that's once a week. And how am I going to find out more about that? Okay, I would go through the abide.network website and we will post a little pop-up window when we run the next one. Okay, okay, abide.network. If I remember that, I can get individual counseling services. If I'm looking for those, I can find out about group events like this anxiety and depression workshop. And just between you and me, Jennifer, if you think about it, next time you nail something down uh, as far as dates, let me know because... I might like to see if I could get some folks that, that I'm working with, people that I'm connected with, to, to be a part of that next program. At least that's my thinking right now. Fair enough? Yeah. Okay. We are uh, in a race, as always, with the clock. And somehow the clock always wins on this broadcast. But uh, in the last portion of this segment... Jennifer, we've been talking about things to help people reconnect with others, how to get re-engaged, not looking at withdrawal or distancing as being strategies that can help you overcome your PTSD. Is there anything else we've really got to put on the table as far as people being aware of if they're wanting to overcome the effects of trauma? I would say don't hesitate to find a good counselor. And now that you can do teletherapy, there's almost nowhere in the world that you can't connect with a counselor. Also, 12-step groups are Mm -hmm. a great resource if you don't have a church or a religious house of worship that you go to on a regular basis where they have resources. 12-step groups of all stripes exist everywhere in the world. And typically when people are trying to cope with trauma effects, they're using things addictively. So they probably have some addiction issues that they could address. There's another organization called Celebrate Recovery that uses a a biblical curriculum based on the Beatitudes. So there are religious and non-religious options for connecting with people for human support. The 12-step groups are a great way, but also most counseling facilities will have references for local support groups or local group therapy for PTSD or these types of resources. NAMI, which is N as in Nancy, A, M as in Mary, I is a mental health resource organization. You can look up the website and see if you can find any group resources for from NAMI. Um, they're out there. I should organize myself more to have them, but uh, 12 Steps, NAMI, Celebrate Recovery, and your local house of worship are great places to start. 
great, great information. Jennifer, we can't stop with just talking about helping people bounce back, but we mentioned earlier in the show that there is this whole dimension of post-traumatic growth. So I think you made the point very eloquently at the beginning of the show that we don't want to say, hey, just uh, put on your big boy pants and forget about the trauma and start growing. I mean, there's real issues that have to be addressed. But what's the, the silver lining, if you will, in individuals who become victimized? You can become a better person with a greater capacity to love and be loved as the result of your trauma. Wow. It's part of the story, but you get to write the rest of the book. Hmm. I like that. So basically, you're not going to let the trauma define you. Is that part of it? It doesn't have the final word. What about this whole question? You know, some people say part of the problem with trauma is people can slip into a victim mentality. Do you really think that's part of the problem? I do. And that's why it's so interesting to me that all of the treatments involve facing triggers. Uh, Mm. Because that person, I call it courage training. I call trauma therapy courage training because it's a step-by-step process of learning how not to run away from things that are frightening, how not to be a victim, how to rise above your circumstances. Wow. I like this. Jennifer, we have got to talk more about this in our final segment. Are you able to stay by with us? Yeah. Okay. I'm not going anywhere either. If you're tuning in today, please stay tuned. We've got a final segment coming up with Jennifer Swerzer right after these important messages. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions... They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers, sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends. So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, We just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects. Poor decision-making. 
and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of the broadcast. Jennifer Schwerzer, my guest. She is a licensed professional counselor, popular author and speaker, and someone that you can tell is interested in helping you with your challenges. Her network that she's been sharing about is simply called Abide, that's A-B-I-D-E, dot network, if you're wanting to go online and find them. And Jennifer has already got me excited about some of the things that she's doing, some of the group programs that are coming up. But Jennifer, we've got more than just websites to talk about. In this final segment, we want to talk more about this exciting topic of post-traumatic growth. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, let me define it here uh, by the actual authors of the term. Positive psychological change experienced as a result of adversity and other challenges in order to rise to a higher level of functioning. Trauma wrote a chapter. You get to write the rest of the book. Hmm. I love that picture because so many people seem to be stuck in an identity that has been defined, at least in their minds, by a traumatic life event. Maybe it's left them disabled. I mean, I've seen that as a physician, uh, physically disabled, but other people are dealing with those uh, emotional and mental disabilities. PTSD, of course, uh, can occur in people who are severely physically compromised as well. Jennifer, what is it that can help, well, really, a person tap into this potential for growth? Well, and and the good news is that 10 to 90% of individuals who experience a trauma can grow from it and report growing from it. 10 to 90. That's a big percentage. So there are a few things that are going to set us up for a good chance that we're going to grow. We're going to get better instead of bitter. Basically, you're going to find that people that have some kind of spirituality in their Mm. life are going to have a better chance of thriving. However, the picture the person has of God is going to be impactful as well. So if they have what's called a negative God reappraisal, which is typically interpreting traumatic events as punishment from God, that's going to maybe negatively impact them. So it's not just any religious experience, but the right picture of a loving and, and benevolent God does seem to help people. And then social connection, both before and after the traumatic event seems to implement post-traumatic growth. Additionally, opportunity for emotional disclosure, which is the Mm. ability to talk about it, just talk to people about what you've been through. That makes a big difference for people. And the last one is what's called acceptance coping. The ability to say it happened. I accept it. Now what? Mm. This is really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I think you may be aware that a while back, I co-authored a book called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, and we actually put a chapter in that book dealing with spirituality and looking at how it impacted blood pressure. What's really interesting about what you're sharing 
is uh, we found the same thing in the blood pressure literature. It, uh, in general, spirituality was helpful for blood pressure, but people that had this negative attitude toward a higher power or to God or however you want to define it, you know, thought they were being punished, they actually had worse blood pressure outcomes. Very interesting um, how this spiritual realm feeds into both mental and physical health. And, of course, in Indian country, uh, I would tell you almost without exception, as I deal with First Nation peoples, very spiritually in tuned, uh, very much into talking about a creator, a great spirit, whatever. This can be a source of strength, even in the midst of trauma then. And the benevolent lens through which the First Nation people see the great spirit is going to do a lot more good for them than even the Christian lens where they see God as punishing. Mm. So whoever you perceive God as being, you know, make sure that that's grounded in a, a benevolent, good and loving God, and it will help you regardless of your religious orientation. That is a powerful insight. So I'm also interested in this acceptance coping because, uh, you know, you and I have both walked alongside of people who are dealing with, with really serious traumas. And I've been around long enough to work with uh, survivors of, of the Holocaust. And I can remember uh, one woman who basically just thrived uh, following, you know, that, that perhaps, you know, among the most tragic things you can imagine. And then another patient that I had who seemed like she never wanted to go back to that place. She'd never really went beyond it. And to even talk about it re-traumatized her. Can you help us understand maybe what the person who had that post-traumatic growth tapped into that the other person hadn't really latched onto yet? Well, the one that wouldn't talk about it was in an active pattern of avoidance. So there was one factor right there. There could also be forgiveness. That's a big mm. factor in being able to move past atrocity or man's inhumanity to man type traumatic events. Uh, so those are big factors right there. I would say those two things of, you know, avoidance strategies, learning how not to avoid and then learning how to forgive. So the acceptance coping dimension, does that tie in with forgiveness on some level? Yeah, it's acceptance is basically refraining from second guessing and why and oh, if only type thinking. Uh, you know, someone gets in a terrible car wreck and, and all they think about and talk about is what life might have been if they'd never had the car wreck. And it's easy enough to do that because they've lost so much. But if that person will instead say, the loss is real, I can't undo it. It is what it is. Now, what are my remaining options? What that's doing is creating an internal locus of control where they look at their present choices and they feel empowered. What can I do now? Instead of looking at the past, which they cannot change, and continually frustrating themselves with the feeling of powerlessness. So where does it happen, Jennifer, where someone is able to start re-perceiving that which they thought was terrible and may have very well been terrible into something that actually had this silver lining, that this is empowering them. It's allowing them to grow in a different way. Doesn't there have to be something that changes cognitively? For me, it's understanding that, that the great spirit has, that there are two wills active in the world. There's a, a bad, there's an enemy that does cruel things. And then there's a great spirit that takes the cruel things the enemy does and refashions them and, and really redeems them and turns them into something good. 
So I think that basic understanding that there are, that all the bad things that happen aren't God that did it, but that God is active to help us recover from and even become better people through the bad things that happened. Do you have a, a short story that comes to mind, Jennifer, that may illustrate how someone went through something very traumatic and actually used that to kind of re-energize their life? Sure do. This is Kay Wilson. She's the poster child for post-traumatic growth. In December of 2018, uh, she's a tour, tour guide in, in Jerusalem, and she was with a friend, and they were t- attacked by Arab terrorists in a Jerusalem forest. Her friend died, but she lived in spite of the fact that she had 13 stab wounds, punctured lungs and diaphragm, dislocated shoulder, broken shoulder blade, broken sternum, and many other injuries. She crawled to safety, and she says the following. The question is not why did this happen to me, but rather how can I incorporate this grisly event into the rhythm of my life in a manner that guards me from becoming like those who tried to murder me? She says, I believe with an imperfect faith in a God of justice who has promised that vengeance is his. So she has let go of needing to take revenge, accepted what happened, and she's asking the how question. How can I make sure that this doesn't happen to me? Mm. It's a great story. I I remember uh, reading that some years ago, and uh, it really challenges us, doesn't it? Because so many of us have been victimized, whether individually, uh, whether as a community, or whether as a people, you know, Native Americans, uh, the kind of atrocities that they've suffered over the years, they don't really have to let that define them, do they? Absolutely not. Then that's good news. Really is. No matter where we're at today, no matter where you're at today, We don't have to be defined by things that have challenged us in the past. Jennifer Schwerzer has been sharing with us insights that can help you deal with your personal or your collective traumas. She's also got some great resources. Jennifer, one more time, if someone's trying to connect with you, the team of health professionals, mental health professionals that you work with, how can they contact you? Abide.network. Abide, the word abide dot network no dot com not no dot org just put those two words with the dot in the middle and it'll take you to our website you can fill out the contact form if you want to ask a question or fill out the intake form if you want to seek coaching and watch for various events that we have we have group workshops and events going all the time great and i know you do some more informal uh, studies topics spiritual health uh, subjects that you're often dealing with, are those also going to be accessible through abide.network? Yes, we have four uh, support groups per week, free telephone support groups. They are listed on the website. And I also have a weekly Bible study that I need to put on the website at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time on Saturday morning. Good, good, good. So uh, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us and for sharing some uh, encouraging words about something that's uh, very discouraging many times. Well, I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've appreciated each of you joining us for today's edition of the broadcast. And as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.